I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In 2003, uh, Aaron Ralston, while he was hiking in southern Utah, uh, had an accident and a boulder fell down and crushed part of his left hand and then trapped his right arm between the rock and the cliff. Some of you maybe have seen a movie of his story called 127 Hours. Nobody knew that he was out there. He had no way to contact anybody. Six days, he was stuck there. He had to figure out, how am I going to save my life? He realized, and he was a mechanical engineer by training, so I I think that there was part of him that realized that he had to figure out how to take a lever with his arm and break his arm so that he could free himself. He had a little multi-tool. It was the only thing that he had, 12 ounces of water and a tiny bit of food and this little multi-tool, but he had spent almost six days trying to chip the rock away to free himself, and it didn't work. So now... He realizes he's got to break his arm and use this dull multi-tool to amputate his arm. And he does. He frees himself. But that isn't the end of the story. He's got to rappel now 65 feet off of a cliff to get back down to where he can walk out. He's got to walk eight miles to get back to his car, about six miles And he finds a family from the Netherlands that helps him get to a rescue helicopter. There's an autobiography aptly named called Between a Rock and a Hard Place about the life of Aaron Ralston. Between a rock and a hard place. That's where we find the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. He is between a rock and a hard place. Here's the circumstances. I mentioned it last week. He's in prison. He's awaiting trial in Caesar's court. He don't know, doesn't know the outcome. He may live. He may die. But you know what? He's not fearful. He's not anxious. He's not depressed. In the midst of that, being between a rock and a hard place, he is full of joy. And he writes one of the most joy-filled letters that we have in all of Scripture. Last week, I talked a little bit about what were some of the things that made him have joy in the midst of these circumstances. Paul had joy because he had confidence. He prayed with joy 
for the Philippian church because he believed that he who began a good work in you is gonna carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until you meet him face to face. God is gonna be working in your life. And we talked about how the, the circumstances in front of us sometimes can be all we see, but we need to look through our circumstances to be reminded that there is a God of good character and he is at work in our life and we can trust him even though everything in our life is not going the way that we want. Paul's gonna look in a different, last week he was looking back at the circumstances that he was in and talking about how God was even using those difficult circumstances for good. Today, Paul's gonna look forward to the future because there's another source of joy that Paul wants us to understand. If we're gonna experience joy in this life, we've gotta think about the future. We've gotta think about eternity. And here's the big truth for today that I want us to walk away with. Joy is rooted in living for eternity. Let me say that again. Joy is rooted in living for eternity. Let's learn what the Apostle Paul has to teach us about eternity. We've got a good chunk of scripture here. I'm gonna read it all in one shot. Philippians chapter one, starting in verse 18. Here's Paul. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. There he is, rejoicing. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And now he pens one of the most iconic verses of all of Philippians. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Emphatically, he says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Aaron Ralston was doing everything he could to cling to life. Paul doesn't even know what he wants in terms of, he is not clinging to life. He's actually torn between the two. Do I want to live or do I want to die? Because on the one hand, he knows if I die, if I breathe my last breath, my next breath is gonna be with him. I'm gonna see Jesus face to face. Paul has had this experience of Jesus wanting to be with him and he wants to be with him face to face and walk and talk with him in paradise. But he says, on the other hand, if I live, this means that I'm gonna have the opportunity to have fruitful labor for Jesus here. Because what I want to do is I want to invest my life in the life of people. I want to help other people come to know this Jesus that I long to see. He says, my life is going to be about your joy and your progress in the face. He's facing a hearing. He's going to stand before Caesar's court. 
and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Likely, a negative verdict means that he's going to be beheaded, which actually happens about five years from the writing of this letter. He is at the mercy of a human court on a human level, but he's also at the mercy of a sovereign God on the divine level. And so he knows there's these two things that are playing out. Should I live or should I die? Freedom or martyrdom? And Paul is just honestly saying, I don't know. I don't know which of those two things I would choose. He is not clinging to this life. Why? Why is he not clinging to this life? Paul is not clinging to this life because he had a view of eternity that was compelling to him, that there was a longing for him that made the things that he was going through in this life not be the things that defined his life. Paul could stand between a rock and a hard place and still have joy. Sometimes when I read this as a young believer, I just think, is he kind of crazy? Is he a little bit suicidal? What's going on, Paul? Paul is joyful because he knows that he is living his life for eternity. And we need to do the same. We need to learn from Paul what he knows about eternity. And the first thing that Paul understands about eternity is that living for eternity makes sense. It just makes logical sense. Just think about this. The scriptures tell us that God has put eternity on our hearts. Here's what the scripture says. The wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes, says this in 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He set that in our heart, this understanding, this longing, this perception that there's something out there. I remember when I was a little kid, like eight or nine years old with my good friend, John, during the summers, we'd just lay on the grass and we would stare up at the sky. We'd be looking at the stars. And I mean, we were the furthest thing from theologians, trust me. But we would start to ask the question like, what, what do you think's out there? What, what do you think's gonna happen to us when we die? And we had the craziest answers. I don't even have time to explain to you how bad our answers were. But there was just this sense like there's something out there and we knew it. We knew that there was something out there. God has written eternity on our hearts. And so here's what I think we need to try to figure out and understand what Paul knew. I want you to think about this as the timeline of your, not your life, but just the timeline of all time. Imagine that this line extends all the way, like, like toward eternity past, like, like Butte and beyond. <laughs> eternity future, like Livingston and beyond. Nobody laughs at Livingston, but we laugh at Butte. <laughs> I know how, I get it. We understand. We try to get our minds around eternity but we can't always grasp a hold of it. But here's what Paul wants us to understand. When you think about your life, when you think about who you are, your life, your lifespan, in terms of the timeline of eternity, it's tiny. Your life is tiny. So Paul would want us to understand, if you're gonna have joy in this life, what you're gonna need to understand 
is that life is short. You're gonna need to understand that eternity is long. So if you're smart, he's gonna say live for eternity. Life is short, eternity is long, live for eternity. We've gotta set our minds on something other than just the things that are happening in this world. We've gotta think about what happens beyond this life. When I think back to when I was in college as a, as a new follower of Jesus, I'm trying to wrestle with some of the anxiety and things that were going on in my own life. If you wanted to bring anxiety in my life, all you had to do was sit me down in a classroom and there's a teacher up there with a, a pile of professors. College isn't teachers, it's professors. A professor up there with a pile of tests that they're gonna get handed out to us. It would just create anxiety in me. But in those moments, over time, I just began to learn to say like this, in the big scheme of things, like in, in all of eternity, this test isn't gonna matter. And so what I would do when I would get there, I'm always getting to things early. I would get there early for my class. I would actually write on the top of my desk. I would vandalize my desk. Yes, it's exactly what I did. But I would just write these words, not my home. It was just a reminder to me, this isn't my home. My home is with him. And I know that whatever happens on this test, it's not going to matter in eternity. And you know what? It actually doesn't even matter now. Like nobody has ever asked me like, what did you get on your engineering mechanics final? <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody, can, nobody asks me what my GPA was in college. I don't even care anymore. But you think about eternity. Those things just don't matter. We've got to live for things that matter. We've got to invest this tiny little time that we have, we've got to invest it in things that matter for eternity. And that just makes sense. If we're gonna make an investment with our life, let's invest it in the things that have an effect for the long term. Paul wants us to understand this. But Paul also wants us to understand theologically, he wants us to understand that we are gonna be accountable there will be an accounting in our life. We will be held accountable in eternity. And this is as believers. This is as believers. This is what I'm gonna talk about and teach about right now is not an accounting that people outside of faith, outside of faith in Jesus will have, but as followers of Jesus, this is the accounting that you will have. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Every one of us is gonna stand, every follower of Jesus is gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a warning that Paul wants to give us as believers that there will be an accounting. And Jesus talked about this. In general, when he shared it in the terms of a parable, he talked about the parable of the talents, that there was a king that was gonna entrust great things to people in differing amounts, but there was an expectation that they would take that, those talents, our time, our, our gifts and abilities, our money, and that we would invest them for things that matter. And in the parable, Jesus said, the king is gonna come back and he's gonna ask, how did you invest my money? 
picture of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me say this again. The judgment seat of Christ, this is not in any way about salvation. The judgment seat of Christ doesn't send us to be with God or to be separated from God for all of eternity. That was settled once and for all by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. If you've placed your faith, your trust, you've bowed your knee to Jesus as your king, made him your Lord, following him, all of your sins are paid for, past, present, and future. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8.1. And Jesus was even more emphatic in John 5.22. He says, very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Believer, you are secure in Christ. But it's sobering to think that we are gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For a time of examination, and for a time of reward. Jesus is gonna look at what you did with your life. What did you do with the things that I've entrusted to you? How faithful were you with the things that I gave you? How surrendered and yielded to my Holy Spirit were you? Were you responsive to those nudges of the Holy Spirit? Were you about investing in my kingdom and investing in people which last forever. He's gonna ask us, did you invest just in things that matter for the dot? Or did you invest in things that matter for the line for all of eternity? It's sobering to think. Every one of us as a follower of Jesus is gonna experience that. And if we honored Christ with the things that he gave us, we'll receive reward But if we neglected the opportunities that God has given us, there will be a loss of reward. Paul, in trying to help us get our mind around what it is that this judgment seat of Christ is gonna be like and about, he tells us in a section of scripture that it's like building on a foundation. He says, everything that you do, every decision that you make is building on a foundation. What are you investing in? What are you building with? This is how he talks about it. It's like building a house. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 11. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. But he says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. What are we investing in? What are we investing in with our life? Are we investing in those things that the fire is only gonna refine and it's gonna last forever, that gold, silver, and precious stones? Are we investing with our life? Are we building with wood, 
hay and straw, things that are only about this life and not about eternity, things that are just gonna be burned up forever. There are things that we're giving ourselves to that are about this life that aren't gonna last for eternity. But there are things that we can invest in that will last for eternity. And this whole idea of rewards, it, sometimes it, it's, it's like hard for me to, to think about that because I think I don't wanna do what I do for rewards. But here's what I believe to be true about how God is going to reward people. It's gonna be way different than we probably think. Here's what I know to be true is that he said, the one who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be the servant of all. That tells me that when we get to heaven, it's not gonna be people whose names were known that are probably gonna be in the rewarded places in heaven. It's gonna be those quiet, quiet servants that were so faithful with everything that God gave them that is gonna be rewarded in heaven. God's gonna bring his justice and reward the righteousness of people, not because of huge name-knowing, but because of a willingness to serve. Be the greatest servant will be the greatest in heaven. Here's what I think is important for us to think about. If this is true, what really matters in this life? If there's only certain things that are gonna last forever, what are the things that are most important? You know, when you get to that place where you realize that your life is short, it actually brings priorities into focus, the things that really matter. I've got to ask this question. Do we have any country music fans out there? Get your hand up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Now, do you like both kinds of music, country and Western? All right. All right. It's our people right there. In 2004, the country music song of the year resonated with the hearts of people because it was about living for things that matter when you know that life is short. It was a song by Tim McGraw called Live Like You Were Dying. And he receives a report that life is toward the end and he's talking to a friend and the friend just simply asked him, what'd you do? What does Tim McGraw say? I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. So important. I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness that I'd been denying. And then he says this. He says, I hope someday you will get to live like you were dying. We have that sense. We know that that's true. But it is so hard sometimes in the midst of everything that we're doing to live for what really matters. And that's what Paul wants us to understand, that joy comes from living for things that really matter. And Tim McGraw, great song, but I don't think he got it all the way right because it's not just about trying to live for everything in this life. Paul would raise the bar and he said it's about living for things that matter for eternity. And not everything, friends, lasts for eternity. In fact, the scriptures tells us very few things last for eternity. God is eternal. His word is eternal. And people are eternal. God and his word are gonna last forever and the souls of people are gonna last forever. So if we wanna think about what are we gonna invest in at this dot that matters for the whole line, we've got to think about how do I invest my life in God and his word and people and tilling 
the word of God into the lives of people so that God can change their life. That's what Paul said. That's why when he stepped back and wondered, like, if I stay here, this is what it's gonna be about. Philippians, it's gonna be about you. It's gonna be about your joy and progress for the gospel. Because when I go to be with Jesus, that's the only thing that's gonna matter. And that's what I'm gonna give my life to. Paul understood eternity. The same is true for us. What's gonna matter for all of time? It's the fruitful work that we do with and for Christ. Not only us growing in our faith, but helping other people grow in their faith, helping other people come to faith in Jesus. Paul said, life is about serving others. And that's how I find joy. It was interesting to me as I was you know, thinking about last week and talking about, even as kind of my introduction, talking a little bit about just the, the mental health crisis and anxiety and depression. There was this uh, headline in the news source, the curated news source that I have. And the headline was this, best medicine for curing anxiety and depression. And I'm like, well, dang, I've got to read that. This is what the results were from an Ohio State University research. Greater results than any other cognitive behavioral therapies out there. And you know what it simply was? Helping people learn to be kind to other people. To show acts of kindness to other people. Be willing to serve people. And here's how they defined an act of kindness. An act of kindness was defined as big or small acts that benefit others, typically at some cost to you in terms of time and resources. Part of me is thinking that Paul would just say, duh, that's what I'm telling you. This is what brings joy. This is what rids us of anxiety and depression. It's not just about turning our life inward and thinking just about ourselves. It's actually turning our life outward and thinking about other people, being willing to sacrifice our life and our time and our money for the sake of other people. That's where joy is found. Ohio State is just realizing what God has been saying all along. It's about making your life about something other than yourself. But how do we do that? How do we actually get to the place where we can open up our life and make our life about something other than ourselves. You know what you've got to learn to do? You've got to learn to trap a monkey. I'm serious. You've got to learn to trap a monkey. Now, I know that some of you are thinking that this, to the untrained eye, this looks like a growler. This isn't what this is. This, friends, is a monkey trap. For hundreds of years, this is what's been used to trap monkeys. And it's as easy as this. All you have to do is you take a piece of fruit, put it inside of this jar, and you tie it off to something. And what happens is the monkey comes and he sees what's in there that he wants. He works his hand down into there and grabs a hold of it. But then when he makes a fist, when he grabs a hold of it and he tries to pull his hand out, he's and here's what's crazy. You can Google this and just watch video after video of these monkeys. They will not let go. It costs them their freedom. It costs them their life. It costs them their joy, but they won't let go. Stupid monkeys. 
stupid us. We're the same way. We can know better. We can know that we need to let go of the things of this life to make it about something else, but we're unwilling to let go. Are we willing to let go? Jesus warned his disciples of this. In Matthew 16, this is what he said to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Let go of your life. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We've got to let go. But friends, this is hard. This is absolutely challenging. One of the things we do as we prepare around these messages is we have a group of people that we call a preaching collective and staff and pastors around our church. And we sit around and we just look at the text and ask questions of it. As we were engaging around this text, I was looking at my friend Kristen and I could just kind of tell a little bit by her nonverbals that there was something that was churning inside of her. So I just said, Kristen, what are you thinking? And what she said was, I read the book of Philippians and I don't find it joyful at all. And I was just like, that is honest. Tell me more. And she said, I read what Paul says it takes to be joyful. And I say, that's not my life. Do I really want that? I want joy, but I want my joy to be comfortable for me. I want my joy to not cost me anything. And as she said that, I just thought, that's me. I think that's us oftentimes. We want the things that Paul is telling us are gonna bring life to us, but either we don't trust him or we don't believe him. We don't think that the word is true enough to sacrifice our life and to actually let go and find the life and find the joy that the scriptures promise us. And I'm gonna say this. I don't think that it was absolutely a slam dunk for Paul either. I wanna go back to a verse that I read that was right in the middle of that section. Verse 20 of chapter one, Paul says this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul knows that this isn't a given. This wasn't any easier for Paul than it is for us. He knows that it's true. But he would say, I expect and eagerly hope that I won't be ashamed, but that I'll actually have the courage that it takes to let go of my life and let my life exalt Jesus, whether by life or by death. If we're gonna live the kind of life of joy that Paul talks about, it is gonna take courage. It's gonna take courage to do that. How do we do it? Here's your assignment. This is what I'm gonna ask you to do this week. How would you complete this sentence? This is the iconic verse of this section. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do you finish that sentence? Honestly, for to me, to live is 
blank. How do you finish that sentence? What is it that you're really after? Is it money? Is it popularity? Sex? Pleasure? Power? Beauty? Entertainment? Toys? Trips? Look at your life. What is your life really about? And if you're really brave, if you're really courageous, to answer this question, ask people that are close to you. Ask people that know your life, that know the things that you talk about. They know how you spend your money. They know how you spend your time. Ask them, honestly tell me, what do you think matters most to me in life? Honestly ask yourself, what is it that is life to me? For to me, to live is blank. Do that exercise. And the second thing that I want you to do this week is I want you to write your obituary. I want you to write your obituary. I'm serious. Think about the reality that someday there will be a memorial to you where there are people thinking about you, thinking about your life. What do you want people to say? What is it that you hope that others looked at your life and saw? This is important. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this in Ecclesiastes 7 to this, this isn't morbid. Like thinking about your memorial, it's not morbid, morbid, it's really smart. And this is where it comes from in the wisdom literature. It says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, which seems counterintuitive. Who would want to go to a memorial versus go to a party? But the wisdom literature tells us you've got to think about the end. For death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. When we think about the end, when we think about the reality that that little dot eventually is gonna have an end, it makes us think about what really matters now. What is it that I'm really gonna live for? What is it that I want people to say about me? And then don't wait to make those things central in your life. Make your life about those things now. But don't even just think about what others are gonna say because their opinions can be skewed. You can fool a lot of people. You can't fool Jesus. What's he gonna say? Because you're gonna give an account. You're gonna stand before him. It's gonna be just you and him. And he's gonna evaluate what you gave your life to. You still have time. We still have breath. We can change the trajectory of our life to begin to live more for things that matter for eternity. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die, until you're ready to meet him face to face. And I think for some of you, I've talked about this judgment seat of Christ is for believers, but there are some of you that don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus. What that means is that you have the opportunity to make him the king of your life. To say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that what you did for me on the cross is sufficient to pay for anything and everything that I've done wrong. I put my faith and my trust in you. I bow my knee to you and I make you my king. Don't wait. Don't wait to do that either. 
Make today the day of salvation when you step across that line of faith into a relationship with him. Because until you're ready to die, none of us is ready to live. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful that you've made it clear what matters. But you've also made it clear that it's easy to just grab a hold of the things of this life. Jesus, would you give us the courage that we need to trust you in a new way, that we wouldn't stand before you being ashamed of how we invested our life, but we would take everything that you've given us, our time and our gifts and abilities and our money, and we invested it in things that are gonna matter forever. Jesus, give us courage to do that. We need you. And Jesus, it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.